Welcome to Licensed Psychologist, Now What? A podcast about the journey psychologists and psychotherapists go through as they reclaim their intuition and unleash their healing gifts while maneuvering getting licensed, life, and making a living. And although this podcast host and many of the guests are mental health professionals, the information provided is not meant to be a substitute for being diagnosed and treated by a licensed mental health, medical, and related professionals, or for supervision and or consultation purposes. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first episode, episode one of Licensed Psychologist Now What? To say that I'm excited, nervous, scared, it's an understatement. I am all of that. I feel that this calling to start this new podcast has been a long process. It was a download that I received and I am excited about it. And like I mentioned, I'm also scared because I feel like this is more of me showing parts of myself that I probably haven't shared with many people in terms of reclaiming my intuition, reclaiming my inherited gifts, and also listening to stories of other psychotherapists, therapists, and people in the healing world reclaim their own authenticity, intuition, and all of that. So that when we start doing those interviews, that part is going to be super fun for me as well, because I'll be able to, besides knowing that I'm not alone in this world, which I know I am not, then I'll start like getting to know other stories, which I love hearing other stories because they also provide me that sense of reminder that besides not being alone, that it's okay. And it inspires me to hear stories of people that have overcome doubts, that have overcome fears and that continue to be on their path regardless of. So that's what I really looking forward to when we have those discussions down the road. Okay. So this episode will be a four-part episode of my journey of becoming a psychologist. I'll start that since the podcast is licensed psychologist, not what. So this four-part episodes will be more focused on the journey that it took for me, Dr. Lidiana Garcia. And this one in particular will be about my childhood and listening to my calling to become a psychologist. So let's dive in. So I divided this in several pieces of things that I am reclaiming as well. So as a child that I was born and raised in the island of Puerto Rico, for those of you that haven't heard about me, and this is your first time or haven't heard my other podcast, The Beyond Resilience Life, I um, was born and raised in the east coast of Puerto Rico in the 80s and 90s, and I'm the oldest in my house of the children. I have a younger sister. I'm the second to oldest in within my maternal grandparents' children, grandchildren. And I was born into a big family, which I loved, loved. Lots of aunts, uncles, lots of cousins, mostly identify as female, and just one boy in the whole family. We're like 11 or 12 right now. Don't count on it. I'm not going to count it. And that in itself was very interesting. And it was really cool. Especially I have some cousins that were born around my same age that I grew up with. And then because we come from a big family, 
my grandparents also had my grandfather, let me say my maternal grandfather, also had a lot of siblings. And he came from that upbringing of helping everyone in the family. So a lot of his siblings and their family would come and stay at our house. They would call it La Casa del Campo, like the house in the countryside. And they all, and the ones that would come and stay, a lot of them lived in either Bronx, New York, or just upstate New York. So they would come and just kind of feel like a retreat with cookies everywhere and just being in nature. And I love having those experiences. We also had some families coming from Chicago. And I remember that one in particular, that there was um, a boy around my age, like maybe three years younger, and we would play like hockey <laughs> with brooms, sticks. And I loved showing them around the property. We had like a little finca, like a little land in the hill in a mountain. And I loved like running around. It was a private mountain. So we would run around and explore all around it which now I'm like, huh, I'm surprised I never actually encounter a snake <laughs> when I was little or, yeah, or something else because it was wild. It was wild. And for this journey that I'm going to be talking about in particular, you know, about my childhood, I'm going to start with, I was born a leader. Whenever, and I kind of started saying, you know, whenever we had family visiting, I love being that person to introduce them to our, our house, our little montaña, and around, and start the conversations, create things for them so it would be fun if they were children, my age, or all of that. Also, during summer breaks and winter breaks, I was the one that would create, like, I would, like, host camps like summer camps that I would even create a little tag for us. I would create like the name for the summer camp and the schedules. And like, I was like the summer camp um, director. I also remember when lots of cousins would come over or for El Dia de los Reyes. That day was very special in our family because my maternal great-grandmother's birthday was at the same day. So we would celebrate her birthday. And also then my maternal grandmother's family would, an extended family would come to our house in Umacao, in El Campo, to celebrate my great grandma. And it was a day and we would all, they would also roast a pig in the La Varita. I don't know, <laughs> even though I was thinking this podcast is not going to be kind of a quote unquote bilingual, meaning I'm not going to be translating each episode. There will be a lot of Spanish integrated, especially when I talk about my childhood. So just know that. So there was like, you know, the pig in La Varita and everybody would show up, their gifts. And it was a very special day. And I remember that day I would like jump in and be the head of like, these are the games you want to play and be always thinking of entertaining for games and having fun. So that's part of that aspect of being born a leader. I was also, when I started dancing, surprisingly, I started dancing a little bit later than I would say I would have wanted. Part of it is during like fifth grade to like eighth grade. So like almost that middle school age, I went through a phase of feeling very self-conscious. My self-esteem was in the floor. I was bullied for a little bit. And a lot of that kind of inner fire that comes with me was a little bit like dim light. But around, I think I was in eighth grade, my maternal grandfather was in El Club de Leones, 
Lions Club. And one of the activities is that they have an event, a convention, and they have like a representative of each of the clubs, kind of like a little pageant. And we also, so besides me being like, like a beauty pageant in a way, but anybody could be, there was no requirement of looks or anything. And so I had to like represent El Club de Macao, and I had to like wear dresses, go to all these different embajadoras. Yeah, we were all called embajadoras and each one of us had an activity within our club to celebrate us. So I would go also and celebrate the Embajadora de Junco, the Embajadora de San Lorenzo, like the nearby cities. And then in the convention, in the national convention, then we would make a show. We would do like a modeling kind of pageant piece of it. So we would represent our town. And then we would also do like a dance performance. And then somebody was going to be queen. We're given the, the title. And it was random. It was not based on answering questions. So it was like a pageant slash not a pageant. So that part was very cool for me. It was a very good experience. It helped me bring back that sense of worth. And I love dancing. I remember when I was practicing, the choreographer was like, wow. And I was placed in the front in a lot of the dance performances. And I'm like, I'm good at this and I love it. So after that, that helped me jump into, let me get back to this. Because I was like trying volleyball and, you know, that was not my thing. But then I started going to a dance school and I asked my sister to join me because I was a little shy that first day and she joined me. And then that was our shared experience. Even though she was about almost four years younger than me, we dancing was our thing. Saturdays, we would go to dance classes and then we would practice. We did a lot of performance. We did a lot of performances in the TV and all those kind of things. And then down the road, when I was, I think, 18, seven, no, younger, like 17, my dance teacher was pregnant. And when she was going to go for her maternity leave, she asked me and another one, another of the dancers, I think there were three of us, to kind of take over and oversee the classes. So I became dance teacher at 17, 18, and that was really cool. And then before that, she trained us by, you know, while she was pregnant, I was her like teacher aide. And then when she left, then I took over for a bit. So I had to like create choreographs and all that kind of stuff. The same happened for summers. There were summer camps. So there was, I think, one or two summers that me and some of the other dancers that she chose were like the dance teachers for the summer camp. And we would hold the summer camp. There was one day that I remember, I think I was 17 or 18 that we were like in the summer camp, regular stuff. And nearby thing, like uh, there was some fire or something. And I had to take them all, walk in line and follow through our safety plan to go to a nearby plaza to be safe. And at that moment, the dance director, she was not the dance teacher, but the director that she was usually always there, she stepped out, I think, to buy lunch. So when she came back, she's like, oh my God, you did this, you know, you guys did this all. That's great. So, and that helped me because that also made me build that resilience, that sense of I can handle this. I can handle groups of people and I can handle and, and hold the space. And that was really cool. I was also born a teacher and that's part of my legacy that my grandmothers, both of them, maternal and paternal, were teachers. And they were teachers my paternal, mostly, I believe, was more kindergarten, and maybe first grade. My maternal grandmother did several grades, and then she became more of the math 
teacher and she was actually my she was my math teacher when I was in fourth grade and she did not make it easier for me. <laughs> Probably that was so hard because I know we do have a special connection now that she's on the other side. Um, but we had that special connection when I was younger and probably that was hard for her to, you know, continue to be still tough to me, you know, and all that kind of stuff and not make it necessarily easy. So that was interesting. So yeah, so I come with that legacy. I have taught graduate school and undergrad school. I love teaching. I love holding workshops and all that kind of stuff. So that's part of it. I was also born a natural listener and space holder. That for me is something that it took me by surprise, I would say. And now as I'm reflecting about my childhood, I would say this is what started, you know, part of those inherited gifts that are really good for me to have as a psychologist and as a healer. I was that person that people would go to and confine their deepest hurt, traumas and stuff without me even eliciting or asking about it. That including some of my cousins, that including some um, of my friends, or even people that I did not know that much. I remember I went on a trip to like a Europe trip when I was in my graduate school with this group of people that I did not know them beforehand. And within days, some of the girls that I was meeting there, they were already confining in me all this deepest hurt and trauma. And yeah, and I was just listening and I'm like, oh my God, here I go. So now I'm a very scared person to sometimes say that I'm a psychologist in places, especially in hair salons. I don't go that much anymore. But when I used to go to hair salons and stuff, yeah, it's even if I don't say it, because at that time I was in school, people would gravitate towards me. And it's something interesting is that was my mom as well. I grew up seeing that in my mom. I grew up going to the supermarket and she encountering someone and they sharing to her their deepest situation and their current you know, they were going through a divorce and whatever, and she would just listen and hold the space. And I would just be waiting like, okay, come on, let's go. We have something else or I'm hungry kind of mode. But yeah, it was something that I it still sometimes takes me by surprise as I'm doing this work of reclaiming it to kind of know, oh, this is what it is. And how can I create some boundaries when I don't need that also? But yes, it was that part of me. And I bet when you went to school, you probably identify some people that you could go to and confine things. So I was that person growing up. There was even a case when I was in, I think I was in 10th grade, 10th or 11th grade. And there was a classmate. We were not best friends. I knew her, but we were not best friends. And that day in that class, that was on the first subject, which was biology. She confined to the teacher that she was not feeling well because she took a she took a bottle of pills, so she technically attempted suicide. The teacher asked me to go and spend time with her while her mom would come to pick her up. And I remember sitting in the staircase near the library, being with her, and I'm like, I don't feel equipped to do this. Like, what am I supposed to do? But I basically was just listening to her, and she was just sharing her fears about her mom. I mean, she already knew because they called her, but when her mom got there and going to the hospital and, and all those kind of things, there was a lot of fear and she was just telling me and I was just listening and validating because I had no idea what else to say. But that part in itself was holding the space. I was born an empath. I remember sensing rooms that I would go into and then that would impact my state and my mood, whether I would kind of like retract a little bit or be more of like 
safety wise, like be a little bit more concerned of sharing things and stuff like that, or even feeling bad. I was that kind of child that was observing everything that was going on in the family and I was aware. Now I can say maybe my hypervigilance, but it was that sense of being like aware of everything. Like, are they mad? Are they okay? Are they upset with what's happening? And then part of me at that time, I took it because I was sensing I had no idea. I had no one that I can go to and help me be like, well, you're just sensing things. That's not yours necessarily. But then I felt the responsibility to do something about it. And I still, to this day, I go to places and when I sense that someone is not well, it's so hard. (laughs) Or when somebody comes to visit and they're not feeling well, it's so hard for me to kind of like get out of that mood because I go into the let me help them kind of mode. And sometimes that's not my space or I need those boundaries as well. But I was born that way. I was also that naturally, I was that child that naturally would explore all the sides of the story. And I remember I grew up in Catholic church. I went to Catholic school from kindergarten all the way to 12th grade, first with monjas, so with sisters, and then with middle school and high school with monjes, so with monks. They literally, the one with the monks, they literally lived there. It was a monastery and they had a high school next to it. And the one with the sisters, they did not live there, but they lived nearby. And my grandmother, when I say my grandmother, I mostly refer to my maternal one. She was very close to them because she was a teacher there. And she was close to them. So a lot of times in the weekends, we would go and bring food, bring clothing, bring, you know, bring help to their, their, how's it called? The, where they live. I know is with C-O-N something. But anyways. And because I was raised within the Catholic church, and not only going on Sundays, but also at school, sometimes we had mass. And learning, you know, being taken religion classes, mostly, you know, Christianity and Catholicism since I was a little girl, I was taught that a lot of things were not okay, like abortion or suicide or, you know, different things that were like, like, that's like, you don't do that kind of. And something interesting is that I was always like exploring, hmm, why would somebody get to that point? Instead of like going against like, that's bad, don't do it. I would always try to explore in my mind because there was no internet by that. It's surprising to think that there was no Google. I cannot imagine if I would have been born during the Google age, how different and how enhanced maybe this, because maybe I would have Google stuff or maybe I would have been so lost right now. I have no idea. But going back to that part that I would want to explore, what would take someone to do that? And what are some of the consequences? And is that really a bad thing? So I was always questioning things that were very much of the opposites or good or bad or black and white, you know, those kind of things, I would question them a lot. And poor little sister, (laughs) then I would share, because I did not have social media or any any avenue that I can just share these ideas. Maybe this is why I'm doing this podcast, but I would share it with my sister and I would be like, huh, you see that person or, you know, they were talking about that. I don't necessarily think that bad because if this X, Y, and Z would happen, And that person did it, then, you know, they did the best or whatever. So I remember my, I was like in middle school, my sister was like still in like maybe fourth grade or third grade. And I was sharing with her ideas about questioning whether abortion was a bad thing and exploring what were some of the reasons that people could do it and it's not bad. And she would just listen (laughs) without saying anything. She's also a natural space holder person, I would definitely say. 
And she was the space holder for me, my sister. And the other thing is around that time, one of my paternal aunts was going through some mental health crisis that included psychosis, hospitalizations and stuff. And there was a lot going on within the family. And I was starting to explore in my mind. I'm like, I would get someone to do that. And then, you know, trying to explore her childhood and all that kind of stuff. So I was also, now I'm saying that clear cognizance, that's one of my inherited gifts. I would get this downloads just like I got for this podcast. But since I was little, I would just had this knowing, this simple, like I knew things sometimes before they would happen. I remember the day before, the night before my grandmother died my great-grandmother died, that I went to sleep and I was looking because my house was down the hill from my grandma's. And at that time, my great-grandma was living with my grandma. And I remember looking up and somebody had a light on, I think my grandma from her bathroom. And I was not feeling good. And I'm like, something bad is going to happen there. I couldn't necessarily explore further, but I knew something bad was going to happen next, there, that night. The next day, while I was getting ready to go to school, my grandma called we hear the phone ring. And that time it was the phone that was connected to a cord. So I ran to where the phone was and I picked it up and it was my grandma crying and I couldn't even hear her, you know, crying and saying in like a despair mode, my mom, mi mamá se murió, Sasa se murió, Sasa se murió. That was her nickname, Sasa. Like she died, she died. And, and then she hung up and I'm like, mom, I think grandma died. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I just ran up to the house to, you know, support my grandma and my grandfather and all that. So, and I remember at that time being like, what the hell, especially being raised in the Catholic church. I was like, am I a bruja? Like, am I a witch? Is this bad? And at that time I also started like, like questioning so much and I would hear like sounds in my head. And then I'm like, am I becoming psychotic? Like my aunt. And then I knew a little bit about the genetics and how it could be passed down. So then I became so afraid of this inherited give that I just shut it down. I'm like, nope, I'm just going to move that to the side and I'm not going to listen to that. And for the longest, I felt pushing it away, pushing it away. And things would continue coming. Like there were moments that I'll be like, mm, something bad is going to happen. I just have this sense. And then I would hear something bad happen the next day. Even the day that my grandma, who I'm really close to, died, I remember that night. When my mom called me and said, you know, mom is in the hospital. Her mom is in the hospital. My grandma. I was like, this is not the same. And this, it, she did not go to the hospital because she was, you know, like, like she had had other instances that she could have died. But that, you know, and in my mind, I'm like, she's not going to die. Or it was not that severe, but she was hospitalized. And I was like, there's something different about this one. And that night as I was taking a shower, I started crying and talking to her. And I felt like she came to visit to say goodbye. <sighs> yeah. So even though I kept pushing the clear cognizance to the side, even though I kept doing that, it just kept coming to me. And right now I use it a lot in therapy. Sometimes I know when people are going to say something, I know it. It's just, I don't always necessarily share because I can also like my anxiety can be high at times and that can get in the way or make it be confusing. So I try to like also help and with certain clients that I, I feel like I can open up a little bit about this woo-woo stuff, then I would share or use oracle cards as a way to kind of like weave in, but of things that I already was feeling. And lately, something that I'm um, reclaiming more and more and more. I was intrigued by the mind 
and why people did what they did. And I kind of mentioned that already. Some of the books, I mean, some of the things that informed this was there was a book report that I had to do in eighth grade that I usually say that that's when I knew when I wanted to be a psychologist. And we had to do it for our English class. We had to do a book report. I had an aunt who was born and raised in the in Chicago and, and now she was in Puerto Rico. So she had a lot of English books and I went there and I picked one for the book report for my assignment for eighth grade. And it was about a girl who had anorexia. And I remember reading the book and it was from the first person perspective, which I love because I feel like it gave me like the inside of her mind. And I was so intrigued by the mind and why would people think away and do certain things. And it was very like, ooh, like yummy for my for me in that sense. And I remember as I was reading it, I'm like, this is because she's the middle child. Nobody's giving her. And then at the end, there's a section that is not longer in first. And they start saying like, you know, she got hospitalized and that they started doing family therapy and they started focusing and telling the parents that they were giving too much attention to the oldest and youngest. And she was, you know, all these things. And I'm like, wow, what I was thinking, it's what I saw that. And that also gave me like, huh, I, I'm good at this shit. <laughs> I'm good at this. So which it was kind of cool at that age. There was also a movie that I just Googled it right before I started recording this called Silent Fall. And it was in, what was it? I'll tell you right now. It was Silent Fall was in 94. <laughs> I'm disclosing my age a little bit here. And in that movie, I know I'm reading now the synopsis and is saying an autistic child. At that moment, I did, you know, how I saw it from that perspective, I was a teen. It was more like there was this child and he was like about seven or something like that. And his parents were murdered. And after that, he stopped talking. So he developed like a mutism, selective mutism. And there was a therapist, which I did not know if it was a psychiatrist, you know, there was a psychotherapist that was trying to get him to talk so they could know more what happened because he was a witness of whatever happened to his parents. And that was very interesting because I'm not going to tell you what happens in the movie, but the experience of the therapist trying to get into that child and build a report. Now I'm saying build a report, build a relationship to build a trust. I was like so intrigued by it. And then to know why they did, you know, the sister did whatever she did and understand that. So that old movie also was like very key in my forming to start to make sense of all these inherited gifts and then what to do with them. And lastly, the show Jerry Springer's. I was so into it, especially the episodes of Trouble Teen. I love, I know that was like more like televised and it was a show and all that, but I love those episodes that there would be like a teen rebelling against her parents and her caregivers. And then the arguments and all that. And I will be here being like, all the mom needs to do is give more attention to the child or, you know, all these things. And those were my favorite episodes. So those kind of three things happen around the same time, middle school. And when people started talking, because I went to a school with, you know, they would talk to us, what do you want to be? And all these like high end professions and wealthy people that, you know, they started talking about what do you want to be when you grow up from early on. That I, that's when I was like, well, I guess psychoanalyst, because <laughs> that, that's what I kind of heard. And then I, you know, realized psychologist. And that's when I made that decision that I wanted to be a psychologist around middle school, which I know is really early on. So 
that's about it for this episode in terms of my formation, my inherited gifts, and my childhood, and how it led me to the path of psychologist. For the next episode, I'm going to focus more on when I started schooling, and I'm talking about undergrad and grad school and all that, up to kind of that end before internship and postdoc. So yeah, I want to say thank you for you listening if you're still here for now. And I am looking forward to connect with you all. If you have any questions, I would love to start, you know, as I'm building this YouTube page and videos and all that to start developing that community, that sense of knowing each other. And if you're in the journey of becoming a psychologist, psychotherapist, like I welcome all your questions and you can also connect with me over here. You'll see down below the where to connect with me and all about that. Thank you so much and looking forward to connect with you soon. Bye-bye until next time. Thanks for listening. Licensed psychologist, now what? To make sure you don't miss any episode, make sure to subscribe via your favorite podcast player and to join our email list via our website. Lastly, I will appreciate if you would rate and review our podcast to help us reach more folks that can benefit from the information provided here. Until next time, bye-bye.